Welcome, everybody. I'm Chris Miller, the Money Mythbuster, and I show you how to make your money last as long as you do. I've counseled thousands of people, individuals, businesses, and families over the past 20-plus years, and I'm proud to say I've never lost one dime of my clients' money. I'm the author of the number one best-selling book, Ready for Pre-Tirement, Three Secrets for Safe Money and a Fabulous Future. You know, pre-retirement is planned retirement early, so your money, your health, and your peace of mind is there when you need it. It is such a major, huge conversation that I've invited some amazing experts to come and share with you everything you know, need to know. And today, I'm so honored to have Sandy Bodkin. He's a CPA tax attorney, former trainer of the IRS attorneys nationwide, lecturer for Tax Reduction Institute, and author of Lower Your Taxes Big Time and Achieve Financial Freedom Big Time. Sandy, I I just want to cut to the chase and get right to the content here. You you are amazing. You have so much information that can help so many people. I think I'm going to help more people hear about you because you really are you're an asset, and I really appreciate you joining us today. Oh, I'm very honored to be working with you on this and, and, and even more honored to help uh, anybody, any of your people. Uh, you know, I, part of the problem as a CPA, and I, it's very frustrating for me, is that I see so many people not doing well who are struggling. And, you know, you think with all the financial books and tax books out there, they would have learned what they need to do to, to get that down so they wouldn't be struggling as much. But that's obviously not the case. So that's why I wrote the materials that I do, and that's why I lecture what I do, because I'm hoping to you know, change the lives of a lot of people, which it really can do. I, I'm, that's, that's where you and I really come together, because we both are trying to help people and are helping people. You know, you're, you have several books, and, and they, they, they are a must-read. They're going to be on my website for my clients to grab a hold of, and and. You know, it's fascinating to me, in your book, Lower Your Taxes Big Time, this is, this is, I think people are scared or something, you know. Of, well, of, you know, like, unfortunately, there, there's a lot of myths as to why people aren't doing what they're doing. Uh, but part of the reason, honestly, that people aren't successful is you take all the financial and tax books sold in the United States, other than the ones on how to do tax returns, take them all. Yeah, yeah. And yet, in total, they don't sell what, and I'm talking all of them combined, didn't sell what the lowest selling Harry Potter book sold. <laughs> all right? That's crazy. I mean, people, the people want to change their lives. Yes, they want to be successful. They're just not willing to do anything for it. They're not right. willing to work for it. They're not willing to read about it. And that is what has created the problems that we have. Right. And I see this time and time again. People falling for the same scams. In fact, I have a whole chapter in my book, uh, Achieve Financial Freedom Big Time, and some of the scams in there are still being perpetrated and doing quite well because people just aren't willing to bone up on what they need to do to avoid these problems. Right. Well, you know, you talk about scam, slam, shams, and why everybody should have a reserve and how much it should be and asset protection. And, I, you know, it really shocks me I haven't figured this out. I, I'm finding maybe 80% of the people I talk to are are scared and they don't even want to look at their statements. I mean, unbelievable. They they just follow them away. They don't I call that the ostrich up. syndrome, by the way. Okay. There's a name for that. It's called the ostrich syndrome. If they put their head in the sand, they're hoping the problem will go away. <laughs> it doesn't happen that way. It just doesn't. That's a, that's a good that's a good one there. <laughs> well, you you mentioned in chapter one why would you know being brave and not have. Uh, not to have self-employed, I mean, you know, people are brain dead that they're not using self-employed or home-based businesses, right? So maybe you well, could elaborate on what you're saying about that. Well, the problem is most people don't realize they really can reduce their taxes uh, substantially over what they would be paying otherwise. The problem is they don't realize it because they don't realize that we have two tax systems in this country. And when I first say that, almost everyone I talk to, when I say that to them, will say, oh, sure, one for rich and one for poor. And that is not really true. It's not. There's one to make you rich, and there's one to make you poor. 
The one to make you poor is the one designed for the working steps for the employees because you are taxed on dollar one. You don't get as many deductions as you think you get. And if you do get an employee business expense, it's usually a non-business expense. It has to exceed a threshold. Whereas if you're self-employed, that's the one to make you rich. And that's true whether it's full-time or part-time because you can write off part of your house, your spouse, the equivalent of your kids' education and weddings. I'm not exaggerating, by the way, when I say that. You can set up a pension plan that makes any government plan look small by comparison. If your business generates a loss, you can use that loss against any form of income you have, including your salary, and offset that salary because the government basically subsidizes you while you're building up that business, if, as long as you operate it like a business and try to make money and have the right receipts. I mean, there's just so many things that you can do to reduce your taxes, protect yourself from being scammed, and, and invest correctly and lower those costs. There's just so many things you can do. The problem is the vast, vast majority of people aren't doing it or don't know the information. I mean, I'll give you a couple of, 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 of just, you know, some statistics that I put in my book, Achieve Financial Freedom Big Time. The average American family has $3,800 in total in the bank. 50%, listen to this, 50% of all American households have no retirement account. No retirement. I mean, 50, seriously, the average family net worth is $160,000, of which 90000 is their home. 40% of all working Americans are not even saving for retirement. Uh, 28% have no savings whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's an it's an incredible incredible situation. It is incredible, and that and that is in your book, um, Achieve Financial Freedom, right? That's correct. It's in Achieve Financial yeah, Freedom, big time. That is an amazing book. So you you coin the term redirected expenses. What does that mean? All right. You know, many of us have normal expenses as employees. We have to drive to work. That's We're spending money on gas. That's not deductible. We're spending money on insurance, not deductible, and repairs. Um, and we have, you know, we have money. We're spending money in our home, utilities, things like this, not deductible. However, if you can develop a side business, now money, some money that you're already spending – which was totally non-deductible. We're not talking about new money here. Now becomes deductible under that new good system. For example, if I if I if I'm at work and I drive home, that's not deductible at all. But if we, if I leave work and I drive to a prospect for my side business, or I drive to an opportunity meeting, or I drive to meet someone to do a proposal and then drive home, that one-way trip becomes deductible. Same trip, same same amount of money I'm paying for insurance. Same amount of money I'm paying for gas, but now I'm able to convert what was totally non-deductible to be partially deductible. You know, Sandy, you're one of the very few people I have found that be passionate about taxes. I, I, I just enjoy hearing you. I think you were, I think we're going to write a, a book, the uncut, you know, the untold secrets. You are the untold, <laughs> Sandy Hawkins, the untold secret. I mean, you're like a fountain. I mean, well, you know. Got a, you know, people don't understand this. They look at me and they go, they can't understand why I get so excited about tax planning or why I get so excited about, you know, saving, about investment and avoiding scams and having the right uh, reserve and having the right insurance and so on. And the reason I do that is very simple. Uh, first of all, when you're talking, let me give you a good example. If you were to save $7,000 a year above and beyond in taxes and other savings, above and beyond what you would normally be saving, which most people aren't and put that away in an average performing mutual fund. I don't mean anything special. I'm not doing stock trading. I'm not buying a bunch of real estate. I'm not buying gold. Just an average performing mutual fund. And you do this throughout your entire working life, which is roughly 40 years, you will have at retirement almost $3 million and under today's results. $3 million. Okay? Right. I want you to think about that, how that can change the life. How many people are going to be listening to this I have a net worth of $3 million or more? And that's just seven thousand a year, and that's not including all the strategies that I mentioned. I mean, you can you can double that easily with all the strategies that I mentioned in my two books. But the problem is people don't know about it. You don't know what you don't know, or they procrastinate and they don't do the things they should be doing, or they're they're focused on 
on the reality shows and watching television till their eyes bug out instead of reading one or two good financial attacks books or they read the wrong information. I mean, it's, it's just sad. It is sad. And, and you know, I, I'm, I spoke in Washington, D.C. to the U.S. Financial Officers Association, and one of the directors there came up with a great idea. It's called a retirement holiday. So you give yourself a holiday. You take off a day and just learn about finances and read books and study and start planning and understanding money. I think it's a great idea. I think it's a great idea, but let me tell you something even more interesting. Every major high school district that I'm aware of, and junior high school district, Mm -hmm. has physical education required for every year of school, or just about every year. I can't think of one school district that doesn't require phys ed. On the other hand, I can't count on one hand how many school districts require courses in finance. I know that's what that's what's driving me to create a money one on money one on one course that is a plug in from teenage to retirement. Because you go to school, you learn how to make money, you get out of school, and what? What do you do with the money? Well, you're absolutely right, and and, and even worse, people and, and parents are being given bad information. Every single guidance counselor I've ever talked to or heard about, what do they do? And I have a whole chapter on this, by the way. Is should you should you incur substantial debt for your dream school, and how much debt is too much debt, and so on. But I, every single guidance counselor that I have talked to has said, oh, apply to the best school you can get into. doesn't matter if it's private. doesn't matter if it's state. Just apply to the best one, and you, you should be able to get some financial aid. If you, don't, if you can't afford it, don't worry about it. They'll provide some financial aid. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, and yet people really. do that. They incur all kinds of debt. These 18-year-olds are signing off their life. Uh, I was just reading somewhere with, where, where, under, where undergraduates are now incurring higher student loan indebtedness than ever. People are going to law school, these bottom-tier law schools, where there is almost very, very difficult to get jobs, incurring on the average of one hundred and twenty to $200,000 of debt. And if they do get a job in these bottom-tier law schools, they're lucky if they get a job for $45,000 a year, so it'll take them the rest of their life to pay off that debt. Nobody thinks about this. Nobody looks at it. Nobody talks about it. It's absolutely stunning. Mm. Boy, we we you need to do a we should do a show just on the college because you have a lot of information. Oh, oh yeah, I can get all into that. Uh, you know, Good. should you incur debt? Is it worth it for that dream school? Right. Uh, you know, you know, where should you put away money if you want to save for college? And, and how do you get in state okay. tuition for an out of state kid? And we can do all kinds of discussions. Good, we'll come back to that definitely. Okay, so so tell me a little bit how people can deduct fun. They're fun times. Okay. In the Internal Revenue Code, there is something called associated entertainment. Of course, nobody knows what that is because it's not explained. You see, we need better explanations. We don't need necessarily better tax laws. People think we need to change the law. What we need is better explanations. We actually have very good tax laws. Associate entertainment allows anyone in business, or even if you're an employee, if you get a letter from your boss saying you're supposed to do this, uh, to write off their fun, movies, plays, golf, as long as you're having fun for the purpose of, of bringing in business. So what the government requires is that you talk business either following the fun or preceding the fun within 24 hours, same 24-hour day as the fun. That gives you enough time, right? I guess and by so. doing that, yeah, and by doing that, you can write off 50% of your golf, 50% of your sh- football game fit- tickets, 50% of your plays, you know, things like that. But it's got to be following or preceding the fun. It can't be during the fun. IRS is never going to believe you're talking business while you're, uh, you know, watching a movie. It's got to be either following or preceding the fun. And that's where a good tax tracker comes in because it shows what you discussed. It has all the information that IRS requires, and it shows you what, you, you know, you discuss business in some specificity. Uh, and that's that's something that's very very important. Having a good tax tracker like TaxBot and some others. But anyway, that's how you write off your fund. That's a good um, point, and maybe you could tell everybody about that. We're going to have that on our site. It hasn't been hooked up yet, but tell everybody a little bit about TaxBot. How that works. Well, TaxBot's a very interesting uh, uh, software for smartphone applications for the iPhone, the Droid, the Droid tablet, uh, the iPad, the web, things like that. What it is, and it was rated number one in the country, by the way, by top 10 reviews, but it's an expense-tracking tax application, and it really does focus on tax. 
where it has all the tax questions that IRS requires right in front of you. So you don't have to worry about, about forgetting them. They're right there for your iPhone. And it does several things. First of all, it has all the tax questions that IRS requires. So you, you just click on add expense, and then it'll pop up all the questions for entertainment, for travel, for the movies, for the plays, everything. So you fill it out, and there are certain questions you have to fill out, who, what, when, where, why, and how much. And then you, that, by doing that, you are bulletproof. The second thing TaxBot does is, is based on the problem with receipts. Receipts are, are, are in these thermally treated paper that tends to fade. And if you get audited and you don't have a receipt that's readable, you're out of luck. Well, what TaxBot does is that you can take a picture of the receipt as an integrated camera, and then you can store that with all the documentation in your web. So if you lose the phone, you don't lose the receipt or the documentation. And what's even better now is that the IRS now encourages people to digitize their records. I guess they've seen what happened with Hurricane Sandy and Katrina. The third thing TaxBot does, it has an, a mileage tracker with a GPS system. And that's so important. So many people who have to keep track of their mileage in order if they want to write off their car, uh, basically uh, are trying to do it by paper, and, and it, they just don't. It's too hard. With a GPS system, it automatically keeps track of your business and automobile mile, uh, business and personal percentage, automatically keeps track of the addresses, where you stop, where you left from, uh, automatically keeps track of the mileage and the, or the kilometers if you're in Canada, it works in Canada, and does all this. All you type in is why. It'll save it for you, it will store it for you, and it will summarize between business and personal mileage for you automatically. And the final thing TaxBot has is me. It has all the tax, have all my videos, like all kinds of videos, three to five minute videos on all kinds of tax topics. I have 380 blogs on, you name it. I mean, I just did a blog with a recent scam called the pet scam, where you get, uh, you get called by somebody saying they have this pet and sell, uh, it, it needs a good home, and they give you a sob story, and you contribute the money, and you, there's really no pet involved. And there's just all kinds of things. Then I deal with how to evaluate nursing homes and for parents, and I deal with what kind of a mortgage you should look at, 30-year, 15-year, 40-year, what kind of insurance you should look at. I'm in the pot. I have all kinds of blogs on a, on a wide variety of tax and financial areas. So between all of that, uh, TaxBot is, is an essential tool for anyone that's got to keep track of their expenses uh, for business or for an employer and wants to learn how to reduce their taxes and, and some financial topics. That's great stuff. Tell everybody how to get it. Well, you can get TaxBot by going to www.taxbot.com. That's T-A-X-B-O-T.com. Uh, it'll ask you for a coupon code. You can get it at half price. Uh, you can, uh, we, the price now is sixteen ninety five. We are going to reduce it. It's going to be reduced to half price, but you can get it right now for half price by typing in SAVE50, S-A-V-E-5-0, the number, and the coupon code, and you get it at half price. So that that's, will help all of, of your, uh, your clients and customers. All right. Sounds great. So you were, you were mentioning that people can actually deduct the equivalent of their kids' education and weddings, and you started talking about that at the beginning. Right. Right. Okay. Let's let's talk about that. And by the way, TaxBite yeah. is a monthly service. Just be everybody aware of that. All right. right. Now, in terms of the education, uh, you know, most people, most financial planners will tell you save up money for your kids' education, save up money for your kids' tuition, but they leave out the other half of the equation. First of all, it's it's good to save up the money. Don't get me wrong. I mean, to suddenly have your kids go to college and and on a hope and a prayer that the college is going to get is going to meet your expected financial need. Good luck to that one. Right now, I can only think of maybe two or three colleges that meet expected financial need in full. One is Harvard, the other is Yale and Princeton. So if your kid doesn't go to one of those three, chances are it's not going to meet your expected financial need. So you're much better off saving up in advance. The problem is the better way, though, is and this is the other half of the equation, is hire your kids. If you have any rental property, have them work on the rental property. If you have a business, hire them in the business. By hiring them, you get a deduction for the wages and the first $6,200 they earn in 2014 and at $6,300 in 2015 is tax-free because they get a standard deduction on their own tax return against wages of $6,300 next year. So the bottom line is you get a deduction and they get that money tax-free and then they use that money they save up each year for their education, for their weddings. So effectively, you're deducting the equivalent of your kid's education and weddings that way. And I may, there may be some people here saying, wait a minute, Sandy, I don't own rental property. I don't own, um, uh, I don't have a business. So here's what you do. You hire your kids to work, do some personal chores around the house, make their bed, clean their room, 
help you around the house. Now, it's not deductible when you do personal chores, but the money is still earned income. The first 6200 is tax-free, and then they can take 5500 $5, of that, and next year it's going to be 6000 of that, and put it into a nice Roth IRA, which is all tax-free and can be used for their education or for retirement. Right. Boy, that's brilliant. That's a, I've never even heard of that. That's, yeah, that's an idea for you. So those are the types of things you want to look at, and, and particularly when you know hiring. If you can hire them in a business or hire them in a, on work on rental property, it's much better because you get a deduction for that. I mean, I hired my 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 kids to work on my rental properties. I hired my daughter to um, design my website. She majored in digital design, which is kind of website and animation uh, work, and I was able to write off the design of the website. I saved thousands by doing that, and if and if people aren't doing it, they're overpaying their taxes. Boy, that that's that tip right there is priceless. Really good stuff. Okay, so how can you doubly deduct equipment and at the same time protect your equipment from judgments? Okay, there. That's a very. How how do you do that? Wouldn't that be great? You can write off all the equipment you use in business twice. And the answer is you can. There's a very little known strategy. And it's called the gift leaseback technique. Now, what is this? Uh, this or, or, or the gift to push tax technique, which is the second technique. Now, what is the gift to push tax technique? This is where you're giving away property that has gone up in value uh, to lower bracketed relatives. The gift leaseback technique is where you get a double deduction. This is where you're giving away property that has already been depreciated, but now you lease it back. You have already depreciated the car. You've already depreciated the equipment, the washer-dryer in the rental property, the desk, the chair, the furniture in your business. But now by giving it away and leasing it back, you're deducting the monthly lease payments. So in effect, you're deducting it twice. Once as depreciation, the second as the monthly lease payment. That's called the gift leaseback technique. And if, and, and if you have any kids who are underage, or how do they, like a two-year-old or a five-year-old, how do they own a, a washer-dryer or a car? You set up a trust, and then you lease the property back from the trust. And there's another advantage of this is that once you do all this, and let's assume two years later you get sued for, for $2 million from our practice, what happens? Nothing happens to it because the property is in the kid's name, not your name. You've just asset protected yourself, which is a nice cheap form of asset protection. Hmm. Interesting. Wow. Okay. So what kind of documentation is needed to bulletproof my automobile deductions? Okay. So again, the other one was called the gift leaseback technique, just to remind them what that is. Yeah. All right. Now, what do you need to bulletproof your automobile? Believe it or not, car is the number one audited area by IRS. A lot of people think it's home office. That is not true. It's car. In fact, all of this is discussed in my book, Lower Your Taxes Big Time. Now, what do you need to bulletproof the automobile? It's actually fairly simple if you do it right. And the answer was what I said before, a good tax tracker. You've got to, have, it's, you've got to show what your business mileage is to your total mileage. You've got to have proof of that. If you have no proof, you get no deduction. You can't estimate. It's got to be proven based on a tracker. That's what IRS wants. If you want to bulletproof your records from the IRS, that's it. You know, you have homeowner's insurance. Why? Because if you have a, if you have a, a catastrophe and a home burns down or a tornado and you don't have it, that's a disaster. You know, everybody has car insurance. Why? You don't use it all the time. Because if you hit somebody without it, it's a disaster. Your tax tracker is your audit insurance against IRS. This is exactly what the government wants. You want to know what you need to keep the government off your back? That's what you need, a tax tracker like TaxBot, because that keeps track of your business versus personal mileage. And by doing that... By, by, let's assume I have, have 10,000 miles a year, of which 8,000 are business, then 80% of my gas, of my insurance, of my car can be depreciated, of, of my uh, repairs can be written off, my wash, wax, and so on, all of those things. 80% of the interest on a car loan can be deductible, and so on. It's all based on the mileage log that you have or your tax tracker. So what about saving gas receipts? Is that out of style now? Or no? Well, interestingly enough, you don't need receipts if the expense is under $75. But I tend to keep receipts anyway. And what I do is I take a picture of the receipt. That will show whether uh, you, how much you're spending on gas. Now, that's for those of you who use the – there are two methods of writing off a car. There's the actual and the IRS method. You need receipts if you're using the actual method because you've got to show what your actual gas was, what your actual repairs were, what your actual cost of wash and wax and so on. If you use the IRS method, then you don't need receipts. 
but you got to have a mileage log because the tax tracker will show how much of your car and how many miles you can tra- you can deduct for business. That's the key. And by the way, also one big thing that people miss is is charitable mileage. Every time you take, and this is true whether you use the IRS or actual method, every time you take your car for charitable purpose, it's deductible. I have a friend of mine who's on his church choir. Every time he goes into choir practice, he should be you know claiming in this example fourteen cents a mile for charitable mileage. You think he's doing it? No. In my neighborhood, as I'm sure in your neighborhood, Chris, you'll see moms all the time once a year driving their daughters to sell Girl Scout cookies. Mm-hmm. All right, Those moms should be claiming 14 cents a mile for charitable mileage. You think they're doing it? No. I mean, it's because they're overpaying their taxes. Having a good tax tracker will keep track of all this stuff. And the same thing is true with medical mileage. You can get 23 and a half cents a mile for every mile you're driving for medical for you or your family. Hmm. Wow. Boy, I learn something every day from you. That's incredible. So you mentioned that there's certain vehicles that allow for greater deduction than others. What are the winning vehicles on that? Well, that's interesting. Uh, it's, and the tax law changes from year to year on this. Uh, essentially, this year, uh, the most you can write off in a, in a vehicle is $3,160 in depreciation in the first year. That's the most you get. The most you get in the second year is roughly $5,200. However... If you buy certain vehicles, you get to write off $25,000 of depreciation up to on the first year. And that's in addition to regular depreciation. Last year, you were able to write off a lot more. Last year, you could have written off like a truck, complete complete use of the truck. This year, it's limited to $25,000. Next year, it may change. But usually, the winners are the same. So who are the winners? The winners are new or used trucks and newer used sports utility vehicles. Now, what is a, but they have to meet certain rules to be a, a, a qualifying truck and a qualifying sports utility vehicle. Now, what are those rules? There's only two of them right now. The first one is you have to have a truck chassis. That's the first one. The second one is it has to have a gross vehicle weight, which means carrying weight of over 6,000 pounds. As long as you, and how would you know if you have a gross vehicle weight of over 6,000 pounds? You open up your door, and in the driver's side is a door jam, and, and it's a little plate in the door jam that says gross and net vehicle weight. If you have a truck chassis and a gross vehicle weight of over 6,000 pounds, you meet the rules. And if you do, you can write off, you can elect, you have to make an election to write off up to $25,000 of the business use of that vehicle, plus you get depreciation on what's left over, and you write that off over six years. That's all in addition. So those are your two winners, newer used SUVs, newer used trucks. Next year, it's probably going to be a lot better because it keeps changing every year. It goes from good to bad to good to bad. I mean, Congress can't leave it alone. But those are basically the two major, or maybe there's four because it's newer used, new, uh, major winners if you want to get an immediate write-off. So how would I qualify for home deduction and, 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 and something like, wouldn't that trigger an audit? You mean home office? Yeah, uh, right. All right. A lot of people think that a home office will trigger an audit and they don't want to take it or they heard from their accountant it's not worth it. Let me mention something. First of all, a lot of people don't know this, but in 1999, Congress liberalized the home office rules. Now, my question to you, uh, Chris, is very simple. Why would Congress do that if they don't want you to take the home office? Think about that. Uh, secondly, uh, I have a friend of mine that actually did a study. He actually conducted a, a long-term study on people who claim the home office versus those that didn't claim a home office. And to his surprise, he found that people who claim the home office have about the same chance of audit as those who didn't claim a home office. So the bottom line is if you're eligible, take it. Because we have found that a home office deduction is worth thousands. In fact, it's worth tens of thousands of dollars. I ran the numbers on a $230,000 home, and we found the home office generated about $2,400 in cash, in cash every single year. So if you're talking about a million dollar home, now you're probably talking probably closer to uh, to ten thousand dollars a year in cash. So my point is, if you're eligible for the home office deduction, take it. Now, what do you have to do to be eligible? You've got to meet three rules. And what are the new liberalized things? First, you've got to use an exclusive portion of a room for business. Now, when I say exclusive, I'm not kidding. Get those cookbooks out of the bookshelf. Get the bridge books out of the bookshelf. Exclusive means exclusive. It doesn't have to be a whole room. It can be part of a room. Then only that part of the square footage qualifies. But you have to have an exclusive portion of a room or an exclusive room for business. Secondly, it's got to be used regularly. And that means at least 45 minutes a day, four to five days a week. 
when you think of regular usage, what do you think of? I think of toilets, <laughs> things like that. So, <laughs> so that's the second thing. The third test is it's got to be as your principal place of business. Simply working there as an aside isn't good enough. It's got to be the principal place of business if you're in business. If you're an employee, then it's got to be a requirement by your boss as a condition of employment. For example, they don't provide you an office, so therefore they're requiring you to work at home. A good example, a home worker would be able to claim a home office deduction as an employee. Wow. So what is the principal place of business? That means you essentially make two tests. Test one is you do all the administrative uh, work out of your home. And test two is you don't have another office where you do substantial administrative work. You can have another office. You just don't do a substantial administrative work. Sales work is okay. Sales work right. is, is like seeing uh, like phone duty, seeing clients, for example, right. um, doing proposals for clients. Well, proposal might be administrative, but seeing clients, turning in contracts, uh, t attending sales meetings. Administrative is proposals. Administrative is cold calling. Administrative is setting up cold mailing. Administrative is studying for standardized tests, like studying for the, uh, the CPA or the GRI or the uh, CLU test or whatever. Uh, that's administrative. So if you do your administrative work at home and you don't do substantial administrative work out of another office and you work regularly at home, and you uh, use an exclusive portion of a room for home, you qualify for the home office deduction. And I promise that will be worth thousands and thousands of dollars to you. Absolutely. That's great. So you mentioned that there is one deduction in addition to any home office that people are missing that will give them an extra $1,500 <clears throat> in deductions per year. Yeah, here's a big one. This is a real big one. I hope everybody's listening. The home office deduction only relates to the real estate. It does not relate, however, to the furniture you use at home. You can, claim, you can put on your tax return, and IRS actually asks you, did you claim a home office? And you can say no and still write off furniture that you use for business at home. So let's take an example. Let's say you use a desk, 80% for business. 80% of that desk is, depre is depreciable. So let's say you take work home. You, and you work at a desk, you probably sit at a chair, part of that chair is depreciable. You probably have lamps, part of the lamps are deductible. Uh, you probably have a bookcase at home. You, if you keep any business, business books in the bookcase, let's say you have one shelf of, uh, of, of, of personal books and the other shelves are, are business and sales books, then you can write off, let's say, three quarters or 80% of that bookcase. The same thing is true with file cabinets. The same thing is true with a computer. The key is you'll have to keep a log as to what your business use is at home, how much you're using that room for business versus personal for a three-month period. By doing that, you'll be able to write off part of the desk, the chair, the file cabinet, the bookcase, although those you don't need a log for, just what, what, how many shelves is for business versus personal, but the computer uh, and, other, and other personal things. So, and many people miss this because even though they're not claiming a home office, they don't realize they can depreciate equipment they use at home. For business. Mm, boy, that's great. So, um, so what are the, some of the techniques that can reduce, say, my chances of an audit? All right. There's a lot of things that you can do. And I have, in fact, an entire chapter on this, on, on techniques you can use to reduce your chance of audit and things that increase your chance of audit and so on. I'll give a couple because we only have uh, limited time, so we're not going to be able to go into all of this stuff. Cause I, as I said, I have a whole chapter on this stuff. Right. First of all, the best time to prepare for the audit is to assume that you're being audited every single year. Because if you assume that, your records will be in great shape. That I can promise you. The another good thing about this is always send in your return using um, electronically if you can. Electronically is the best thing. But other than that, registered mail or uh, Federal Express or something, something where there's some kind of tracking. Believe it or not, one of the biggest ways IRS uh, decides to audit people is when they don't get a tax return. By sending it tracking, chances are IRS will get it for sure. And if they don't get it, and if you can prove you sent it in in some tracking, like electronically or uh, sent it in uh, with FedEx, they'll waive penalties. Right. So that's another important point. Notify IRS of any address changes. I was reading, I think in USA Today, that IRS wants to give back $78 million in refunds, but they can't find the people. Uh, I, I, you ever get the feeling maybe, Chris, that IRS isn't looking that hard? <laughs> I don't think so, right. <laughs> All right. 
yeah. I would also, when you do it electronically, the chances of losing, of having transposing your social security number it will, will be eliminated. It'll guarantee using the right, correct social security numbers. But if you don't do it electronically, you want to make absolutely sure using the right social security number. So I tend to use those labels that IRS sends you with your tax return. Uh, you want to make sure your return is neat. I had a friend that thought if he can't read the return, they won't audit him. That's baloney. Uh, report all your income. Believe it or not, one of the biggest ways to get audited is failing to report all your income. You want to match all those 1099s and W-2s that you get from uh, your employers or you get from your companies to make sure they match. Now, a $200 difference can, can actually have an audit. You want to use a competent tax preparer. Now, what's a competent tax preparer? This is somebody that is either a CPA or an enrolled agent. That's somebody who, takes a, who passes a tough exam with the IRS, by the way, or an attorney or somebody who's a previous IRS agent. You want somebody who's honest, and you want someone who's aggressive. Now, that's very, very important. And I met somebody who said, I've got the best accountant in the world. And the problem, and I, when I said that, I got nervous. I said, what makes you say that? He said, well, I, I, my accountant gives me $5,000 more in charity than I ever have to pay for. <laughs> the IRS finds out about those people, and they audit every single person they audited. If you have any big-ticket items, things like a big casualty loss or a big dental, big medical, any big-ticket item, this is a big, big, big tip. Attach a statement breaking down that big-ticket item to your tax return with an explanation. I know someone who had $25,000 of dental, and he got audited because of this. But had he attached a statement with an with a itemized statement of the bill showing that it involved orthodonture for his three children and perio surgery for he and his wife, he probably wouldn't have been audited. You're allowed to attach anything you want to your tax return to explain these things. So you want to attach a statement explaining big-ticket items. And finally, if you rely on the advice of an accountant or lawyer where you get some legal advice, keep records as to the nature and date of the advice. There are cases where the IRS will waive penalties for a good-faith reliance on an, independent, on an expert, on someone who's independent. But you want to keep records showing what the lawyer or accountant said and the date they said it. Wow, good one. Yep. Okay, here's one that gets is getting a lot of people, and how would I reduce my Social Security taxes in business? All right. Well, one way is not make money. If you don't make money, you don't have to worry about Social Security. That does a lot of good, yeah. The, the other way is, and this is something you might want to consider, is the only way to do this, actually, is well, not, well, several ways. One is to use the techniques that I discuss and lower your taxes big time to reduce your net income. Social Security is based on net income, not gross. If you're self-employed, if you're so by reducing your net income, you reduce the Social Security that you pay. The other way to reduce your Social Security is to form consider forming an S corporation. S corporations like a regular corporation, uh, but you but the way it works is that um, the portion that you 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 take as salary, as long as you pay yourself a reasonable salary, the difference that you leave in the S corporation can be taxed as a dividend. Dividends are exempt from Social Security. Salaries are not. You can only use this technique with an S corporation. It will not work with a regular corporation. It will not work if you're self-employed. It only works with an S corporation. Oh, Sandy, are you? Have you cloned yourself? <laughs> yes, I'm getting. That's that's what you're going to do. <laughs> you're my clone. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you. I mean, this is just. Actually, my son is is sort of a a clone. He's in law school. He's a CPA. He's he's got a CFP certified financial planner's uh, designation, and he's now finishing an LLM in tax. So he's kind of like a mini clone, a mini me. Oh, all right, okay. Well, there's just not enough of you for everybody, so they got to get your book. Right? Boy, I wish everybody felt that way. Where were you when I was 18, and I was dating all these pretty girls? <laughs> <laughs> I was walking down the road in in, in faith. I don't know yep. where I was. <laughs> Um, so you mentioned the top four most overlooked real estate deductions. One of them involves divorce. What is that? That's, that's absolutely correct. You know, most people get divorced. They never real, or when they do get divorced, they don't realize that there is a lot of um, of things you should know before you get divorced. And one of them involves. Um, well, let me give you a good example of one. When most people get divorced. What do they do? The vast majority uh, have usually the spouse, the female spouse of the, uh, the, of the, uh, the female, buys the home, the principal residence, from the guy. 
And that's usually done because they want to keep the family in a home and they want to, you know, females like to keep the family home. They don't like breaking up. I call that the nesting instinct. They don't like to break up the nesting instinct. So the guy sells the family home to the wife. The problem with that is under tax law, when you are pursuant to a divorce and you buy a home pursuant to a divorce or any other property, there is no... Uh, no, no gain to the selling party, which is good to the, to the husband, but there is no step up in basis for the wife. And let me give you an example of how this works. Normally, if I have a house that I buy from you for $500,000, Chris, my basis is $500,000. And if I sell it for more than five hundred, dollars I have a gain, or less than five hundred, dollars I have a loss. With a family home pursuant to a divorce, it doesn't work that way. Let's assume that you and I were married, and we bought a home for $200,000, and now we get divorced when the house is worth a million. And you buy the house for me for one half of the million dollars. You buy the house for me for $500,000, which is one half of the value. You figure your, your basis is $500,000. That's what you're paying. The problem is, if it's pursuant to a divorce, there is no step up in basis. Your basis is equal to the original cost you paid for the home, which is $200,000. But the bottom line is, if you're going through a divorce, I hate to say it, but you should never be the buyer in a family home. If anything, be the seller. This way you get the money, you don't pay tax. The better way, the more fair way, is to sell the family home, split the proceeds, and then each person buy their own home. That is the more fair approach. Hmm. Wow. Interesting. Okay, so you also you've mentioned the top four most overlooked real estate deductions, and, and we talked about the divorce. And then you mentioned that there's two tax credits for college tuition expenses. What are those, and how do they differ? Okay. With what's interesting is in this year there used to there used to be a deduction for college tuition, but now you just get a choice between two different type of of, of credits. And by the way, a credit, let me make sure everybody understands this, is a yummy dollar-for-dollar dollar reduction in your taxes. It is much better than an expense because with a credit, you reduce your taxes dollar-for-dollar. Dollar. Now, there are two kinds of these types of credits. One is called the uh, American Opportunity Credit, otherwise known as HOPE tax credit, but it's now called the American Opportunity Credit. That's Congress's way of tax simplification. They just changed the name. The other is called the Lifetime Learning Credit. And there are a number of subtle differences between the two. Basically, the American Opportunity Credit allows you a 100% deduction for the first $2,000, or credit, I should say, for the first $2,000 of tuition, and then a 25% credit on the next 2000 So if you're spending 4000 or more in tuition, which just about anybody is for college, you would get a $2,500 tax credit against that tuition. And that is available for each child that you have in college, for each dependent. You can use it for you, you can use it for your kids, for everyone who's a dependent. The problem is, is that you know what Congress gives you, they taketh away. If you make too much money, the American Opportunity Credit starts phasing out. And uh, in fact, last year, the credit phased out, or phases out, if you make over 160000 of adjusted gross earnings and are married, and, uh, and it completely phases out at 180. And if you're single, it starts phasing out from 80 to 90. So that's called the American Opportunity Credit, so much for tax simplification. It is only available for undergraduate uh, education, for college. Now, what do you, you know, it's an old saying in Washington, D.C., where I live, where there's a will, there's a lawyer. And, <laughs> and a lot of people think it's a relative. Or relative. If you can't get the credit because you're making too much money, here's what you do. You stop claiming your kids as dependents and let them take the credit. Let them pay the first 4000 tuition. But you can give them money for that. They can come out of their bank account, however you want to do it. And now they can claim the credit on their tax return against their earnings if you can't get it. So that's one way to get around this. Now, the second type of credit is called a lifetime learning credit. And this credit is also uh, – this is a 20% credit on tuition and related expenses up to $10,000 a year. So the maximum credit here is $2,000. Now, generally, for undergraduate education, you are much better off with the American Opportunity Credit. The Lifetime Learning Credit is limited to 2000 not 2500 and you only get one per tax return, unlike the American Opportunity Credit, which will allow for each of your kids, including yourself. 
but the lifetime learning credit is available for graduate school tuition. It is available for post-college tuition, graduate school, uh, law school, medical school, things like this. Uh, so the lifetime learning credit can be used for those types of things. So that's something you should be aware of. That's interesting. All right. So, uh, you know, this this next question may be a whole nother show because there's, there's so much to it. But, you know, you know the IRS publishes their top ten sca uh, tax scams. Uh, can you wrap around that? In, is that, is that a, too big of a question? It's, well, I, I can give a couple of them. But obviously there, there's a lot of scams. In my book, uh, Achieve Financial Freedom Big Time and in Lower Your Taxes Big Time, I happen to copy that chapter because I thought they're so important. I list a whole bunch of scams, not just the tax scams that are mentioned by the IRS, but also um, there's other scams. There, there's a lot of other scams that I get into. So I, I really, really recommend that everybody you know, take a look at what's going on on the scam side of it because there, there really is a large number. Don't, don't ever think that crime doesn't pay. Unfortunately, it pays, and it pays very well, particularly if you don't get caught. So you, you need to really keep track of these. Now, what are the tax scams? Let me go over a couple of them. There are a number of them, but I just want to hit a few of them. One of them, which I just got myself, actually, it was, it was, a, it was a call. Somebody actually called me up and sent me a voicemail on my email, on my voicemail system, saying they are with the criminal tax division of the IRS. And there is, yes, and there is an arrest warrant they're going to be issuing for me. Oh, oh my goodness. They actually called me up on this. Of course, the they big tip-off was this guy had a foreign accent. He had a strong foreign accent. Chances are that was, that, that was a tip-off. Um, and, of course, I, it, it, the problem is IRS will never do that. And, of course, what he wanted was he said, however, maybe we have the wrong person, so I'd like to make sure that you're, you are who you are. Maybe you can, if you're not this person, maybe you won't, this won't be a thing. So they asked me for my personal ID, information, personal Social Security number, and other identifying information. They're doing this solely to get your personal identification so they can now scam you and get your bank account and get credit in your name and all these other things. IRS will never never call you up for that information. They will never ask you for personal information. Never. They'll never threaten you with an arrest warrant. So they will send it to you by certified mail or they'll send you a mailing. Right. Right. Number two, a lot of times they are sending mailings. There's a lot of phishing scams or mail that looks very authentic. And when you call up the number, they again ask for personal information, which will never be asked by an IRS agent. They will never ask you for money. They will never ask you uh, for personal information. And if you think it's not a scam or you're not sure, call the IRS. Don't call the number on the letter. Call the IRS. You can call 1-800-IRS-1040, uh, 824-1040, okay? And you can find out if this is a real deal or not. But don't fall for that. We call them phishing scams. One of the biggest scams that I want to share with you, which is also one of the biggest the IRS has, is what I call frivolous tax arguments. And this is where, and I, and I, I actually witnessed this, there was a guy on a stage, well-dressed, looked great. He came out and said, um, I want you to know I don't pay taxes. And he starts citing all these great, interesting arguments, like taxes aren't constitutional, or they haven't been codified by the government, or they're voluntary, and therefore you don't really have to pay anything. Or some other arguments they give, taxes are only for federal employees, or there's no statute that properly codifies the tax code, and, and on and on and on. Trust me when I tell you, when you have somebody say something like that, run the other way. All of that is nonsense. And the federal government is so bored with this that when it goes to court, which it does, the tax court judges are so bored that they're asserting the government's legal fees against people who make these claims. And one of the biggest perpetrators of this kind of nonsense was a guy named Erwin Schiff. Erwin was promoting all these fraudulent claims. People followed him and got into all kinds of trouble. In fact, one person even contacted Erwin in prison. By the way, Erwin's in prison now, by the way. You can visit him in prison. And he, Erwin said to him, quote, unquote, how could you be so stupid as to follow my advice? I mean, these people like Madoff, they have no conscience, none. That's unbelievable. Yeah. And the final one I want to talk about, about far schemes, is the offshore deals. A lot of people, a lot of companies are going around saying, oh, you can put your money offshore. IRS will not, you won't, won't know about it. You won't be taxed. Americans are taxed on their worldwide income. Corporations can sometimes get around that 
by uh, incorporating in other countries, but only if they sell a lot to foreign countries, not if they sell to the United States. Americans are taxing their worldwide income, and government is casting a very wide net looking for things, Swiss bank accounts, Israeli accounts, foreign bank accounts, Cayman accounts, and all these other things. So be aware that you are taxing your worldwide income, and all this stuff that's saying you don't have to pay tax or the government wasn't going to find out if it's, a, if it's foreign is baloney. Because there's sure a lot of people going around doing that. Yes, there are. These scam, as I said, these scam artists never stop. They're always looking for new things, and they always feel there's a sucker born every minute. Right. I just got one today on my corporation, someone telling me I need to fill out something that, uh, you know, was one of those phishing things. Of course. Yeah. They're, 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 they're always doing this. I mean, it's just right. on and on how they call you or they threaten you or they try different things. If they didn't work, they wouldn't be doing this. They work, unfortunately. People, again, people don't read books like Lower Your Taxes Big Time or Chief Financial Freedom Big Time. They read Harry Potter or they read cookbooks. And then when they get calls like this, they get scared. And by the way, some of the biggest scamming is now going on with elderly people. I want to emphasize this. Maybe that's why I'm getting a bunch of calls these days. I'm, I'm starting to get elderly. And the problem is elderly, you know, a lot of them are, do not have the mental faculties they had when they were younger. A lot of them get scared. A lot of them don't know. I mean, so they fall for this stuff. They they fall prey for this stuff. Right. Oh, that is so huge, I'm telling you. That's part of why I try to, you know, help them because information is so buried, and I've seen it so many times, Sandy. It's crazy. You know, for those of you that are listening, you're listening to Sandy Botkin, and he's a a tax attorney, CPA. He is an amazing, has these two books. I I totally encourage everybody to get a copy, um, Lower Your Taxes Big Time and Real Estate Tax Secrets of the Rich. and um, Achieve Financial Freedom Big Time. There it is. Right. (laughs) Say it one more time. Achieve Financial Freedom Big Time. Big Time, right. And... Um, where again are they going to get that? They can get this through a couple ways. They can go to books.sandybotkin, S-A-N-D-Y-B-O-T-K-I-N, books.sandybotkin.com, or, which will take you to Amazon, by the way, or they can go to barnesandnoble.com or Barnes & Noble store or any other bookstore. If it's not there, they can order it. So all of that is available. We'll lower your taxes big time and achieve financial freedom big time. can be gotten from any bookstore or online. Kindle uh, anything. All right, and um, and again, my name is Chris Miller, and you can contact me at Ready for Pretirement and get uh, three secrets for safe money and a fabulous future. And this is Sandy. We're going to just have you keep coming back and giving us more of this great information and uh, dialing in everybody on how to protect their assets. Uh, is there any cherries on the top you'd like to share? Maybe that we didn't cover. I know there's a lot. Uh, there's so much. We can we can do this in the future. All I can say is adopt some of the advice that I mentioned. Get my books. So get yourself a good tax tracker, particularly if you have a business. And basically, you'll be covering your assets. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. My sentiments. Well, Sandy, it's so fun to talk to you. I really could talk to you for hours because there's so much. And, you know, the one thing that I'm seeing a lot of people struggling with that that we'll have another show about is it you know is how to get the financial freedom and we'll we'll be having another show about this too. So again, I really really want to thank you for joining me and and sharing all this great information. I am very honored to do so. All righty. Well, you have a beautiful day. Same to you. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. <laughs> 